Well, we're privileged today to have a friend of mine uh, from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention bringing our message, Dr. Marcus Brown. And uh, Marcus is, he said his title's really long. I, I know this, I know he used to be um, an evangelism specialist at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. I know he was a pastor over near the Fort Smith area in and around the big city, he said, of Jenny Lind, if you know that area. And uh, he, he was a pastor before going to the convention. And uh, in the last uh, maybe a couple of years, he has risen to the highest echelons of administration and gotten that big title. And uh, he works with personnel and administration and, uh, but I invited Marcus to come and uh, uh, preach and to speak to our church about, number one, from the Word of God, but also about what's going on in and around the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, the way the Lord is working, different ministries, and uh, different things. And so, Marcus, we're privileged and counted, we count it a privilege to have you here with us, and I want to invite you to come and bring a message. Well, good morning. It is really good to be here with you all this morning. I'm excited about being in Valley Springs and, and looking forward to being able to share God's Word with you this morning. I'm going to invite you, if you would, be making your way to Mark chapter 5. We're ultimately, here in just a few moments, going to be making our way to Mark chapter 5. And, uh, and so, again, just, just a big thanks to, uh, to Pastor Sean. Thank you to him for allowing me to come and to, to stand up here. It's, it's an honor to do so. And, and one I do not take lightly. So I'm excited about what the Lord is doing. I'm excited about what the Lord is doing here uh, at, uh, at First Baptist Valley Springs. Thankful for, uh, thankful for how the Lord is working. And it, isn't it good to be reminded that God, he, uh, if, if he didn't have a mission for his people, the moment we gave our lives to Jesus, he'd just suck us right up on into heaven. And uh, that's not how he works. He's left us here for a very specific reason. He's got this church here for a very specific reason to reach people around this community. And so I'm thankful for the partnership that, uh, that we have together. I, I appreciate uh, Brother Sean. Thank you for, for leading and pastoring like you do. I know this man has a great love for the Lord, has a, a great love for God's Word and for the church, and uh, just really appreciate him and, uh, and his friendship. I have been at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. I'm in my 13th year now, and so I pastored, uh, as he mentioned, pastored for eight years in Jenny Lynn. How many of you know where Jenny Lynn is? Anybody? Okay, I see those two hands. Okay, all right. Yeah, it's just, just south of Fort Smith a little ways. And uh, I was born and raised down in the Mansfield area, uh, which is further south uh, of uh, even of Jenny Lynn, south of Greenwood down there. But I've been at the convention now over 12 years. And the bottom line, uh, by way of titles and all that, they, don't, they can't figure out what they want me to do down there. And so they just keep shuffling me around. But spent the majority of my time on the evangelism and church health team down there. And I don't know how much you know about the convention um, and, and what all that entails. But I, I'm, I'm thankful for your partnership with all the other Arkansas Baptist churches uh, here in, in the state and in the state convention. And so 
uh, this church is, a, is an Arkansas Baptist State Convention Church. And so if you didn't know that, we can talk about what all that entails. And, and of course, that, that it's also a Southern Baptist Convention Church. So Southern Baptist Convention is the whole nation. Uh, then Arkansas Baptist State Convention obviously is the state. There are about 1,500 Arkansas Baptist State Convention churches. And so all of those are working together uh, to, to give to missions and to fund missions through something called the Cooperative Program. And so I, you can see on the, on, the front of your, uh, on the front of your bulletin, your worship guide here, I appreciate, appreciate that emphasis uh, that uh, is about the work of Arkansas Baptists and even on uh, as far as missions and, and international missions are concerned, gives you a little bit of an idea about how we partner together. So, so all these 1,500 churches... They could, uh, they could just say, well, we're going to fund this one missionary or we're going to fund this one work and we're going to do what we can. Or we could pool our money together and send a whole lot more people and do a whole lot more things than we could ever do as an individual church. And that is where the cooperative program comes in together. And so uh, in light of that, churches around the state of Arkansas give to missions through the cooperative program and... Uh, for example, last year they gave almost $21,400,000 to missions. So you all are a part of that. You all give very generously to missions through the cooperative program. And it was the, in a COVID year, it was the most that had ever been given to missions through the cooperative program in the history of the state of Arkansas. And so I thought that was a fascinating thing and a, and a tremendous blessing. And uh, the Lord gets the credit for that. So we were very excited about that. As a matter of fact, we at the, on the Arkansas Baptist State Convention level, and we're going to get into the scripture here in just a second. Y'all just bear with me. But on the state convention level, that there is the state has a twenty-one million dollar budget, and we could talk about where all that money goes. A lot of it goes, uh, a good chunk of it goes to fund international missionary missionaries and missions work and church planting and and all these different kinds of things. But anything that Arkansas Baptist churches gave over $21 million, over $21 million, half of it stays in-state to fund in-state work, and half of it went straight to the International Mission Board. So Arkansas Baptists wrote an additional check of $174,000 to the International Mission Board above and beyond what we already had given. So you all did that, and so that was huge. Yeah, that was fantastic. Did you know in a COVID year, all right, I got a woohoo back there, so that's going to keep me going on these facts. So you only want to silence that person. But uh, in, in a COVID year, the International Mission Board, when things were shutting down, Southern Baptists put almost 500 additional missionaries on the international mission field in, in the midst of the pandemic and COVID and all this. So that's fantastic. That is something that's, that's really exciting and, and very thankful to the Lord for, for what's going on on the international level. Of wonderful things that are taking place there. And then you've got what takes place in the state of Arkansas. And so you're able to see uh, at the, uh, the front of your, uh, your guide there, you're able to see the green circle is Dixie Jackson Arkansas Missions Offering. And so every year, 
generally every September, churches uh, in Arkansas emphasize this special missions offering to fund work that is taking place inside the state. And so there's a lot of great things taking place inside the state. For example, down at Varner, south of Pine Bluff, there the maximum security prison. Did you know that Arkansas Baptists have a prison seminary that is, is taking place, that, is, that has developed inside that maximum security prison. So, so we are training officially with a, an actual accredited degree prisoners who pro, are, are going to be serving life sentences are, are going to seminary and being trained on how to be ministers. These are people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel in, while inside prison. They've given their lives to Jesus and now they're undergoing training so that they can be trained and equipped ministers inside the prison seminary or the prison system as they serve out their life sentences. And we are very excited about that. That's one of the things that, that uh, your giving goes to help support. And then you have BCM ministry. Talking to John a little bit ago and, and, uh, and, and we were talking about, he mentioned some of the things in terms of ministry and how he ended up here and, and how that uh, you have a BCM presence uh, even here in Harrison and, uh, and, and the fact that there are, there are college students getting ready to go and start classes this next week. And I'm about convinced that the college campus is about the darkest place there is uh, in, in our society these days. It is just very difficult for young people to stay strong in their faith while at college. And so you have, you have collegiate ministers all over all these campuses, not only full-time campuses, but even community college campuses all across the state who are helping to strengthen the faith of those kids who are those students who are on the college campus and seeking to reach out to those who, uh, who do not yet know the gospel. All right, one more thing. Yesterday, you had a role in a medical dental clinic that took place down in Warren, Arkansas. Right, so we, there are clinics that are put together where the, they partner with the church and, and they come and they provide medical and dental treatment for people in the community that need it. Ninety people were treated. And yesterday, of those 90, seven of those who were treated prayed and gave their heart and life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that gives you an idea about some of the things that are taking place around the state and in the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. When you think of the state convention, don't think of a building. We have an office building down in Little Rock. That's not primarily the state convention. You all are, a, are an autonomous church. Did you know nobody can come in? Nobody can come in and tell First Baptist Church, Valley Springs, what y'all ought to do or what you ought to believe or any of that stuff. I'm here as your guest. I work on the convention staff. I'm just here to serve you because you're entirely autonomous. And, and to think that, that we have 1,500 autonomous Arkansas Baptist churches who can come together and work together and accomplish missions together because of how great Jesus is and how he's transformed our lives. That's pretty exciting. So thank you for the privilege of, of allowing me to come and share this morning. Uh, again, we're going to make our way to, to Mark chapter 5. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture here. Uh, before we do, uh, let me remind you of, of another verse that came to my mind or, or that I read this past week. Romans chapter 15, verse 23, the apostle Paul is telling the Romans, he says to them, he says, I'm going to come see you. I've been planning to come see you, but I'm ultimately, I'm going to head, head to Spain. I aspire to go to Spain. I'm going to come see you because there's no more work for me to do in these parts. 
Now, just think about that is what he says. Romans 15, 23, uh, there, there's no more places for me to work around here. In other words, I've shared the gospel in about every, every pocket I can imagine sharing the gospel in. And I, I'm going to head on to new, new places and to new works. And so the other day I thought about us as Arkansas Baptists. Wouldn't it be great if the day ever came, and we know it's not going to this side of heaven, but if we were ever able to say, I think we've finally gotten around to sharing the gospel with everybody around here. (laughs) That would be wonderful. That's a great goal, is it not? It's a worthy goal because people desperately need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to be looking here in Mark chapter 5 at a passage of scripture that is somewhat familiar to to, uh, to many of you. So let me read. I'm going to read a, a pretty good section of it here. But let me begin in verse 1 where it says, They came to the other side of the sea, that is, they being Jesus and the disciples, into the country of the Gerasenes. And when he, that is Jesus, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. And he had his dwelling among the tombs, and no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and gnashing or gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do you have, do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on a mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank and into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had all happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him, and he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. Then he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. Let's pray. Father, we call on you this day, acknowledging the authority of your word in our lives. In the best way we know how, Lord, we we ask you to cleanse us of our sin and to allow us to enjoy a closeness to you that enables us to hear from your word what it is you'd like for us to glean this day. Thank you for letting us worship you today and declare the greatness of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen. Back in the late 
1930s, radar was being developed. It was a technology that ultimately we know uh, played a great role in, in the midst of World War II. And one of the companies that was on the forefront of radar development was a company by the name of Raytheon. My brother lives down in, in Dallas and he is actually, he works for Raytheon in the research and development department as a mechanical engineer. And they still have defense contracts even today. But, but we, when World War II came to an end, it was 1945 and a man by the name of Piercy Spencer was, was doing some additional uh, investigation and experimentation on radar. And so one day he was headed into to the lab to, to work on and experiment with some radar tubes. And on the way in, he grabbed a chocolate bar and slid it into the side pocket of his sports coat. And so that morning he did some of the work he was, he was trying to accomplish and, and at break time came, he reached into his sport coat pocket and grabbed a hold of that chocolate bar and what he came to discover was that bar was completely, me completely melted. It was just a, a soft little mushy ball of goo when he reached his hand in and grabbed it. He didn't open it or anything. Instead, he just walked over to the trash can and, and dropped that melted chocolate bar into the trash can. Started to go back to his work, but all of a sudden, the thought crossed his mind. Now, wait a second. It's not hot in here. I've brought chocolate bars in here before. What, what just happened? And at that moment, he had a thought. And that one thought led to some additional experimentation. And ultimately, that experimentation has transformed many a household in the United States of America. You know what? he thought of that day or what, what that led to that day? Anybody have a guess? The microwave. All right, that is exactly right. So in an effort to hone radar, we now have microwaves in our house so we don't have to worry about popping popcorn on the stove or, or anything. We can just pop it in the, in the microwave to thaw out a big old roast. You don't have to just sit it on the counter anymore. Theoretically, if you're in a, in a crunch for time, you can pop it in the microwave. Our households have been transformed they have been transformed. This morning, I want us to look at this passage of Scripture and I want us to consider another transformation that can take place that's a whole lot better than what the microwave oven did for the American household. We find a man introduced into the story here in Mark chapter 5. And as he is, do you remember how this man is described that, that meets Jesus when Jesus comes to this region in this particular story? The man that's introduced here... When Jesus gets out of the boat, this man that encounters Jesus, we, we know that, that he is possessed by demons, ultimately a, a legion of demons, thousands of demons, if you will. Not only is he demon-possessed, but because of this, he lives among the tombs. You, you remember picking up on that as we read a moment ago. And, and it, it mentions here in this passage that often he had been bound with shackles and with chains. And he broke the shackles and he broke the chains. I mean, can you imagine? Who had that job? You ever thought about that? Who had to go out and chain this man up? Somebody had to do that. And we find that as he lived among the tombs, he would roam the hills and, and he would cry out at the top of his lungs and, and he would cut himself. And though it doesn't say it in the, here in the Gospel of Mark, in the Gospel of Luke, it says he was completely naked. I mean, this is a terrifying man. Just, just imagine the, the, the kind of man this must have, been, must have been. This was the kind of person that when the teenagers were bored on Saturday night and trying to figure out what they wanted to do, that one of them recommended, hey, let's go over by the cemetery and see if we can catch a glimpse of this guy. That, that's the kind of man that they were dealing with. He was just a part of this community, but he was terrifying. And we find here as he is described 
When I think about all the things that describe this man, demon-possessed, lived among the tombs, roamed the hills, cut himself, cried out at night, completely naked, just totally uncontrollable, the word that comes to my mind is hopeless. This was a hopeless situation. Do you know anybody that's a hopeless case? Well, when you think about hopeless and somebody getting their life turned around, who comes to your mind? I, I, I assume that somebody comes to your mind. It may be a, a neighbor, maybe a coworker, maybe a, a friend or a family member. It's hard to imagine a more hopeless situation than what this man found himself in. And then all of a sudden, one day, a boat lands on the shore and things are about to change. Give you a little bit of backstory. If you were to look in, in chapter 4, we would be able to see that at the beginning of chapter 4, Jesus is there at the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's teaching the people, teaching them parables. A huge crowd has gathered. As a matter of fact, there's so many people that, that Jesus has to get out into a boat and be pushed away from the shore a little bit so that he can teach the people. And then once he finishes teaching them, he, he tells the disciples to get into the boat and that they need to cross over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And it's in the midst of that journey that this storm blows up. All this wind begins to blow. Jesus is at the back of the, of the boat. That story's recorded at the end of chapter 4. And, and, uh, and the disciples are terrified because they think they're going to be drowned. And so they wake Jesus up. And he calms the storm with the spoken word. And now they're even more terrified because they don't really understand exactly the kind of authority Jesus has as demonstrated by his ability to calm this storm. And yet they do all of this. They got in the boat. They traveled the length of the Sea of Galilee. They endured this storm all because they have somewhere they need to go. Now, I've never been to Israel. I'd love to go one of these days, but I've never been. But I've been told that when you, when you get to the Sea of Galilee, that the Sea of Galilee has 33 miles of shoreline. All right, 33 miles. To put that in perspective, it would be approximately, y'all would know this better than I, but I think it's approximately about from here to Marshall. Okay, kind of give you an idea. Approximately. That's how much shoreline there is. So let's think about this. Jesus and his disciples could have landed anywhere they wanted to along those 33 miles of shoreline. And it just so happens they pull up where there is a cemetery right there by the shoreline. It's in the region of what is known as the Decapolis, kind of a, a Greco-Roman part of the, the backside of the Sea of Galilee. And, and in light of the fact that it was largely a Gentile region, that may, be, that may speak to the presence of this huge herd of pigs that were there that particular day. And so Jesus, their boat pulls up. Jesus gets out of the boat and immediately he encounters this man. This man comes and he falls down before Jesus the, the demons surely are surprised at his presence. Now, are you able to notice? They know exactly who this is. They know who this is that has just gotten out of the boat because there in verse 7, it says, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? It's as though a standoff is about to occur. This one man has climbed out of the boat, and here comes this demon-possessed man, possessed by a legion of demons. And now a showdown's about to occur, and it would be appropriate to what, what I can think of in my mind is almost whistling one of those western tunes, you know, you're stepping out on high noon. What is going to happen here? One man versus a legion of demons. 
And yet we know enough to know there was no competition here. There was no standoff. Because the person that was stepping out of that boat was no mere man. The demons had it right. He was the son. He is the son of the most high God. He had total authority over them. And that is why all they could do was beg for mercy at this particular moment in time. And so they beg him and they say, they say to him, as, as Jesus is casting them out of this man, they say, can we go over into this herd of pigs? And so, so Jesus allows them to go over into that herd of pigs And we find the story describes that once they entered the pigs, they ran down this steep bank into the Sea of Galilee and were drowned. Now, we're not going to spend any time on that. I'm going to let Pastor Sean explain all that at a later time. Okay, exactly what happened on that particular day. But all we know is that Jesus of Nazareth shows up and gets out of a boat. 2,000 pigs die and a man's life is changed forever. (laughs) Now, isn't it interesting to consider that Jesus in his ministry on earth, he never visited Rome. Have you ever thought about that before? He, he never made a trip to the world's most powerful and influential city at the time. Scripture never records him even visiting the city of Tiberias, which would have been the leading city there in the, in the region of Galilee. The Bible doesn't talk about it. The Bible doesn't talk about him ever encountering the emperor of Rome. Bible never shares that he sought audience with Herod, who was the king of the region. And yet Jesus wanted to cross the Sea of Galilee, and of all 33 miles he could have landed, he landed at that one point because there was a man that he needed to encounter that was absolutely hopeless. This shows how much this man meant to Jesus. Let's briefly consider the responses to Jesus this particular day. First of all, the demons were afraid. Why were the demons afraid? The demons were afraid because they knew who Jesus was. They knew that he had authority over them and that all they could do was ask him for mercy. It's interesting to note, and we're not going to spend time on this, but isn't it interesting to note that that there's people that, that live their life knowing who Jesus is, or at least having some biblical understanding of who Jesus is, and yet they are unwilling to yield their lives to him. The demons, James tells us, even the demons believe. They tremble, but they do not have a saving relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. So you can believe rightly about Jesus and still not have a relationship with God. There's more to it than that. The the demons, they knew who Jesus was. They were terrified, but they didn't have saving faith. Now let's consider for just a second the townspeople. You remember as we read about that a moment ago, it says here, beginning in verse 14, that the herdsmen ran away. Okay, can you imagine this scene that has just happened before their eyes? They've got this demon-possessed man who they, they see all the time. And a matter of fact, they were in close proximity to him even before Jesus came. And this demon-possessed man, all of a sudden, these pigs that they're watching, they just go crazy and they rush down this bank and they rush into the Sea of Galilee and they are drowned, what are they going to do? They run back to the town to report exactly what has transpired. 
The end of verse 14 says the people came to check out for themselves what has happened. Look at verse 15. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down clothed and in his right mind the very man who had had the legion. So here they, they see him. They come and assess the situation. There is the man who had had the legion of demons and he's sitting there, he's, he's dressed, he's not crying out anymore, he doesn't have to be chained, he's not cutting himself anymore, he's in his right mind, and what is their reaction? They are frightened. They are frightened. How many times had they walked that way and they were frightened because of that man? I mean, can you imagine them, them saying, oh, we got to go that way, but I dread to because what if that man's out there? What if, he, what if he chases after us or what if he scares our children? Listen, if you think you have bad neighbors, I don't know what kind of neighbors you have, but if you think you have bad ones, you could have lived next to this man in this cemetery. And yet all those times they've terrified that this man terrified the people of the community. Now they see him in his right mind acting completely normal. And the end of verse 15 says they became frightened. Why were they frightened? The demons were frightened because they knew who it was getting out of the boat. They knew the, the authority Jesus had. I think the townspeople were frightened because they didn't know who this was that had gotten out of the boat. They couldn't understand. How did all of this happen? Why is it unfolded like it has? They didn't know who Jesus was. And then you come to verse 17. Verse 17 has to be one of the saddest verses in the Bible. It says, they began to implore him, that is Jesus, to leave their region. They begged Jesus to leave. Isn't it hard to comprehend? Colossians 1 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. By Him all things were created. Jesus, the, the one who got out of that boat that day, has always existed. There's never been a time when He was not. There's never going to be a time when He does not exist. Here He was, He got out of the boat right there where they live he is the one who would ultimately die for the sins of humanity. And yet their reaction to Jesus is, Jesus, would you please get back in that boat and just go back to where you came from? That's how they responded to him. This man has been transformed and all they want to do is get him out of their town as quickly as they possibly can. <clears throat> and there's people like that. <clears throat> they consider who Jesus is. They try to develop some understanding of Jesus. And then they have difficulty understanding his ability to be who, he, who the Bible claims him to be. And, and all they can do, their response is, I just don't want to have anything to do with it. Would you just please go and leave me alone? That was the reaction of these people. And then you come to the man's reaction. <clears throat> Look at verse 18. <clears throat> it says, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. There's a lot of imploring going on. Have you noticed that? You got back up in, uh, earlier on the, in this passage of Scripture. Uh, it says, verse 10, for example, the demons implore Jesus not to send them out of the country. And then, then you come to verse 17, the townspeople implore Jesus to leave their region. 
And then you come to verse 19, and, or excuse me, verse 18, the, the, the demon-possessed man who's now no longer demon-possessed implores Jesus to let him come with him. Isn't that great to know? The demons were, they implored Jesus because they knew who he was. The townspeople implored Jesus because they didn't know who he was. And the, the, the demon-possessed man implored Jesus because they knew what had happened to him and that his life had been transformed. And all he could do was beg Jesus, please let me go with you. Please let me follow you. What a difference from those other two reactions. And it then, then note what Jesus says here in verse 19. It says, Jesus did not let him. He said, let me go with you. Let me get in the boat. Jesus said, no, you're not getting in the boat with us. Look at verse 19. Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. Just imagine, can you play out the scene in your mind? I don't know if this is how it happened, but just imagine if his mom is still alive. I don't know how old this man was. Just imagine if his mom was still alive. Can you imagine that moment when he pulled on that door handle of the house where she lived and that son that she had given up on as never coming home, never being able to enjoy a meal with, never hugging again, that son walks through the door and she or fa other family members, if she was no longer living and, and the friends he had had in town, they stand there in stunned silence as he tells them, a man got out of the boat earlier today and my life has been transformed forever and ever and ever. We're going to meet that man in heaven one of these days. Isn't that fascinating to think about? The man, you know, I mean, we don't think about that, but oh yeah, you're the guy that the demons were in and the pigs all died. That's how, kind of how we're going to remember him. He is going to enjoy heaven forever and ever because of the way in which Jesus transformed his life that day. It says in verse 20, it says he did what Jesus said. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him and everyone was amazed. Just think about this. He went from demon-possessed, literally unchainable, roaming the hills, crying out, cutting himself completely naked to a missionary in one day. <laughs> one day. All right, there's no... I've, I've been to seminary. There's no seminary here. <laughs> right. There's no college degrees here. He went from an un uncontrollable crazy man to a very effective missionary in one day because of the transforming work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, who do you know that's in a hopeless situation? Who do you know that everybody's given up on? Mom or dad, is it your son or daughter seemingly in a hopeless case? You may, you may be a grandparent and you think of your grandson or your granddaughter. Or you may be a, 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 a child and you think of your mom and your dad or a friend or a co-worker or a neighbor. The question is, is anyone too far gone when Jesus is the one getting out of the boat? The answer to that is No. So I appreciate the time of intercessory prayer this morning as, as, as names were called out and, and prayer was, was offered for these people that have needs. Let us remember that at the end of the day, at the end of our lives, at the end of the age, 
What's going to matter isn't what I've acquired or even the name I've made for myself. All that is going to matter is what I have done with Jesus. And so as the people of God, we have the privilege of interceding on behalf of those who find themselves in hopeless cases because a boat can pull up and transform a life forever and ever. And you know what I've come to realize? Jesus ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit came to, to fill his people. And so you know who's going out in the boats with the message of the gospel these days? It's us. <laughs> it's us. God can send you into the life of somebody who's in a hopeless situation and their lives can be transformed as we go out in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me invite you, if you would, please bow your head and close your eyes. And as you do, I want to invite you as the people of God to ask the Lord to bring to your mind hopeless cases. People that, if their circumstances don't change, they're going to they're gonna spend eternity separated from God and they... It is hopeless. Bible says they're dead in their sin. And we need to be a people who intercede on their behalf so that they can enjoy the transformation that only Jesus can bring. Who do you know that's in a hopeless situation? You may find yourself in a hopeless situation. And if you're looking for hope and looking for, for peace and purpose and joy, it is found only in Jesus. Father, we call on you this day. We thank you for the partnership we have in the gospel that as Arkansas Baptists, we are working in the power of the Holy Spirit to spread the gospel. Lord, may we spread it in a way that I'm, I'm envious to hear Paul say, I need to move on because I've, I've done all the work I can around here. Lord, let us work with that zeal so that people can hear the message of Jesus. As I think about this passage of Scripture, Lord, I am reminded figuratively of the day that, that Jesus' boat landed in my life. And my life was transformed. And you opened my eyes and allowed me to see that my sins can be forgiven, that I can have life that lasts forever. Lord, if there's somebody in this room that needs you, if there's somebody that acknowledges that they're living in their sin and they've never given their life over to you, please lead them to make that decision today. Let, it, let them catch one of us today before leaving and, and, and let us talk about what that means to give their life over to you. Father, I pray that as Christians who have had our lives transformed, we like that man would go and tell all you have done for us and how you've had mercy for us on us. Please use us to see people's lives transformed for your glory and their salvation. It is in Jesus' name that I pray.